This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Here's trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Fantastic stuff. I could watch the first 25 minutes of that movie every day of the year, but I'll probably watch it. I feel like it'll be on AMC nonstop today. That's from the original Halloween. That's uh, the doctor. Not who, but doctor. His name was Donald Pleasance. That was the actor's name. I don't know the actual doctor's name. Dr. Loomis. Fine. Uh, (laughs) Jerry Loomis. Lenny Loomis. Uh, Now we're digging too deep. Yeah, I think so. We didn't need to know his first name. (laughs) But he treated uh, Michael Myers. There's that scene when uh, the car is, it's dark, and uh, Michael Myers scrambles over the car, and he's wearing a gown. Oh, my heavens. Tremendously frightening. Can you dress your kid up as Michael Myers anymore? I think you can because it's a movie character. If he's a random serial killer or a threat to society, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Let's think of the other other children. Uh, it's Halloween morning. Great to have you here on Toronto today. Uh, that's for sure. Um, I'm going to give you something from Melanie Jolie in a minute, and I don't quite understand what she's saying, only in the sense that there's um, a lot of contradictory mixed signals about the Middle East coming from the federal government right now. I'll give you that in a minute or two. Um you heard overnight, and you just heard Dave Bradley lead with it in the 6 o'clock news. So if he leads with it, it's a thing. Uh, the Toronto Paramedic Union put out another code red. No ambulances available. I think we need better answers here. I trust the union is legitimate here. This is uh, the Toronto Paramedic Union putting out their code red. What's that mean? Well, they say we don't have ambulances for those who need urgent care. They gave an example that they, in essence, had to um, co-opt. Uh, an ambulance from Peel Paramedics to get called in to help for an unconscious elderly person. Can you imagine? Uh, that ambulance was over 28 minutes away. And that doesn't mean it arrives in 20 minute, 28 minutes. It's probably going to be even a little bit longer than that. I don't know what your expectation is based on where you live for an ambulance to show up the second you call 911 and say someone's unconscious, someone's passed out, someone's bleeding heavily. Like, like these are bigger priorities than my kids slipped off a bike. Take them into the hospital. I've taken my kids to the hospital for um, an eye injury where stitches were needed, a chin injury, you know, falls off a skateboard. They're doing something silly when they're four or five years old. I've taken them in. I've never had to call for an ambulance for them. I've only had to call for an ambulance for my next door neighbor. I think I've told this story before, but we live a good, we live a five minute bike ride let alone car ride from uh, from the hospital in Ajax. I could I rode my bike over to see how my neighbor was doing when he looked like he was having a heart attack and we called the ambulance because nobody else was home. And then everybody comes out of their houses. Everybody comes out of their houses on the subdivision and is watching. He's just sitting on the step. He's keeled over. But you hear the siren and you hear the, uh, the, the, the ambulance uh, and you just think, thank God. God, it's coming. But I can't imagine sitting there 28 minutes. Do you know how long two minutes is to stand over or sit beside or hold the hand of an unconscious elderly person? I can't imagine that being the case. So we've heard this a couple times from the Toronto Paramedic Union. Let me make two points of clarification here. One, 
Ambulances seem to constantly be a real struggle, and this has nothing to do with COVID-19. You might have heard me swinging my arms around like Donkey Kong, knocking coffees over and uh, and wrecking some of the upholstery here with me yelling on the radio. I try not to do that during COVID and especially during the winter months. This is not a COVID thing. This has been happening for close to decades now in Toronto and other municipalities on Friday and Saturday night. There's too many 911 calls and not enough ambulances to service those 911 calls. This has zero to do with the pandemic. Zero. But at the same time, I think we start to need to get answers today from, let's say, the Toronto Board of Health or let's say the Toronto Chief Medical Officer of Health. That seems reasonable to me. Why do I pick on them? Why bring them up? Well, I'll tell you why. They're asking for money. But they're not asking money for ambulances. What do you think the cost of an ambulance would be? Like, what do you think it would cost to outfit it? I looked it up as we're uh, as we're coming in this morning. I'm thinking this is going to be a massive show uh, or a massive topic on the show. And the cost of an ambulance to purchase is around one hundred fifty thousand dollars. One hundred fifty thousand dollars. Sometimes it gets up to two hundred. So let's play a little game here and say it's $200,000 to purchase an ambulance. I know you got to staff it and you got to outfit it and all that stuff. The Board of Health in Toronto is asking for $5.1 million. So let's just play our game here just for a quick minute. To me, that's 25 ambulances guaranteed. 25 for the city of Toronto. Should they spend the $5.1 million on the 25 ambulances that would cover the most populated city in the country? Should they do that? Well, you and I might say yes, that they should. Here's what they're asking the province for the additional $5.1 million for. And I'll read you from the story from last week. They'd like to add the $5.1 million in their budget in order to prepare for the fall and winter virus season as COVID-19 RSV and flu cases are already popping up. Medical Officer of Health Dr. Eileen Davila said the extra annual funding would be used for infection prevention and control hubs that will prevent and mitigate the impacts of outbreaks, particularly in long-term care and retirement homes, shelters, and group homes. Count to 10. Look, I understand that that's a critical thing, but it's not going to cost $5.1 million to do. I think there's some happy medium here. I'd like the Board of Health and the Medical Officer of Health to advocate for the A word, ambulances. Please, let's even have a conversation about this. Let's have some brave member of the media. If I have to give up my afternoon and go do it, the next time Dr. Eileen Davila has a news conference, I'll freaking do it. But how about taking some of that $5.1 million and getting ambulances for our most populated city so that a loved one isn't standing over an unconscious elderly relative or friend or neighbor for 28 minutes. Can we stop this with the COVID-19 funding and the hubs and this and that? We know that you put a bunch of vaccines out. We know that nobody takes them. Small percentage of people take them. And we know that you then throw them out. Like these are things. Let's get ambulances instead. Am I, you can tell me via text. Is that a crazy sentiment? To say, let's nip this in the bud and at least consider purchasing more ambulances. Wheel them out. We just saw the TTC do this. We saw the TTC do this in the summer in with the federal government. Here's some new streetcars. 
here's some brand new electric buses. There's some federal money that's involved in it. It only makes sense to me. Let me flip to this uh, really quick. Uh, Melanie Jolie is, uh, our, of course, our Minister of Foreign Affairs for the federal government. Um, there's a lot of debate about whether or not Canada should be more involved in asking for a Middle East ceasefire. Uh, a lot of debate about how involved Canada should be in terms of influencing the war. I don't think we have that much influence in the war. But she said yesterday we should have now, instead of a ceasefire, a humanitarian pause. I don't know what the difference between that is, and she didn't explain it. This was a speech to the Economic Club of Canada in Toronto yesterday, and she did say we have to keep eyes on what's happening. I agree, absolutely. If there's non-humanitarian things happening, we need to urgently monitor those and call those out. And we can call them out aggressively in this war between Israel and Hamas. Here are her comments yesterday. But again, alarm bells go off, and I think you can't sort of be doing one thing and asking for the other at the same time. Here's Melanie Jolie, Canada's foreign affairs minister. What is unfolding in Gaza is also a human tragedy. The humanitarian situation facing the Palestinian people, facing Palestinian women and children in particular, is dire. And extremist settlers' attacks continue in the West Bank and must stop. Like all states, of course, Israel has a right to defend itself against terrorist attacks. It has an obligation to do so in accordance with international law. For even in crisis, there are principles. And even in war, there are rules. I just think those are a bunch of words. I don't know what that is. I don't understand uh, wars when we talk, or words when we talk about war, and we talk about principles and being honest and fair and just. That certainly isn't what war is. I mean, make that sentence make sense, because I can't do it. You can't call for a humanitarian pause and then tell me in the same sentence, borderline, Israel has a right to defend itself. I can't figure that out. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Our next guest must have asked for this. It's not exactly a trademark Halloween song, but uh, it possibly works. This is Taylor Swift's Haunted. She could make it a Halloween album tomorrow of like 12 covers, and it's going to have 15 million uh, downloads on Spotify. That's just how the world works. Um, and I'm not I'm not uh, knocking that. Toronto Today, here's uh, April Engelberg joining us. She does uh, every Tuesday at 6.30. When you go see her next fall, will she play the song Haunted? Is that big enough to get on the playlist? Good morning. That's so funny. When I heard that song coming, I was thinking, wait, this is haunted. Wait, this isn't his intro for Toronto today. Well, it's not. Wh- no, it's not part of the Eras tour. No, because it's not one of her biggest songs. Well, she, I mean, she could uh, she could just pack it in and, and slide it in. She's just she like 38 songs. It doesn't have to be one of her could, 10 or 15 yeah, biggest. It's one of the surprise songs. But the thing is, I think she already did it and she usually only does them once. <laughs> anyway, I'm, yes, I'm obsessed that you well. know this and uh, and the know. concert's like 13, 14 months away. Didn't you come close to seeing it? Did you come close to traveling away um, and seeing her in another city? Yes, good question. I did go to New York, but the tickets were so expensive. So my sister and I just tay gated, which is when you 
like it's the Taylor Swift version of tailgating in the parking lot. And you just listen along. It's really fun. So she's at Madison Square Garden and you, but you don't go into the show. There's just a lot of Taylor Swift fans there in Manhattan, which sounds fun. Yeah, exactly. It was in New Jersey. Yeah. Oh, Brooklyn. Was it in? No. Oh, the stadium in the Meadowlands. Oh my goodness. The outdoor uh, NFL stadium, MetLife Stadium. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, all right, let's talk. Um, $190 million could be saved a year by the province taking over the DVP and the Gardner. These have been costly projects. As you know, it was a fierce debate during the mayoral campaign, both the one last fall, the election that you ran in, and as well this past spring. Um, is there any downside to this if the province does this? Yeah, I think it's really interesting that Olivia Chow is actually going potentially going to be the one that brokers this deal with the province uploading our highways. I think it makes a lot of sense because frankly, Toronto can't afford to keep them. Like it's costing Mm -hmm. us at least $1.9 billion just to maintain these roads. Um, I think what will end up happening is that if the province does take over these highways, they will obviously be the ones to have control over what we do with them. So um, in terms of, any momentum there was to either take down the highways or rebuild them at, at grade level. We'll see what happens once the province is in control. Yeah, it seems like most people agree um, that it kills the idea that they're going to. And, and I think a lot of people were, were stressed out who come from the east, who come from Scarborough, who come from Rouge, who come into the city that way, April. And, and they're thinking, oh, you know, if you take that down and I'm trying to get into the city at 8 a.m., what am I? It's bad enough. So what am I supposed to do if that isn't enough? I don't think it would have been a popular move. I, I think it wouldn't have been popular now. I think maybe once the Ontario line is complete and it kind of goes a similar route, it might be a different story. But I, I think now if that's what ends up happening, that the province takes it over, we can rest assured that those highways will remain. April Engelberg is our guest on 640 Toronto, Toronto Today on this Tuesday morning, Halloween morning. Um, you want to talk about, and I think this is great, I, I, I absolutely, this might have slipped past my radar, but the Waterfront East LRT. We talk a lot about the Eglinton LRT. We talk a lot about the Ontario line, but the city of Toronto is moving plans forward for Waterfront East LRT. If someone is doesn't work near Queens Key, if someone doesn't work in that downtown core, explain even to somebody of the 905 what this project is. Definitely. So the Waterfront East LRT is basically a streetcar that would run along Queens Key, but also further along into Portland, like further east and also south in this whole new development that will be getting built. And what's really interesting is it's going to the executive committee today. So we'll be hearing a lot more. And what they're looking at now is getting it to a 60% design because currently it's not fully designed. And what they're recommending is to build it without connecting it to Union Station. And this I do support because I think it's a really important project, but the most expensive part of the proposed project was to build a tunnel into Union Station. Yeah. And by not doing it, we, I, I, my understanding is it saves a billion dollars, and I just think it makes a lot more sense. We've had a lot of construction anyway at Union Station. 
so this just gets us further along. You nailed yeah, it. We're we're all that. we're still, I think, walking into Union Station. Sometimes I am because I'm not there. Uh, I'm I'm not on the subway that often, but I'm on the GO train probably a couple times a week coming in there, and I still struggle sometimes with. I think I know where the bathroom is. I think I know where I can get something to eat. Where would somebody go if they don't build a tunnel, April? Where would someone go and walk to get the streetcar? How like I have you seen those kind of designs to know how far that would be once you arrive at Union? Yeah, so you would just basically walk down Bay to Queen okay. Key to be able to get onto the waterfront LRT. And it's a big project. It's, it's almost four kilometers. And the idea is, since so many new developments are coming there, that it's a lot easier to build the streetcar before the, the people have arrived in these new developments. It's a lot easier for the construction to build it before all the new buildings are there. And, and you do wonder, I mean, given the backlog of, uh, of, of some other projects, the Eglinton LRT specifically, they're looking at maybe this takes a decade. Like I, I don't. I, I think we'd sign up for that and hope that the cost is two point five seven billion and it doesn't extend past ten years. I almost think we'd accept that at this point for what it would mean for the future. Definitely, I love new transit construction projects in the city. I really think it's moving us forward. So I definitely support it. Um, last thing, we got about a minute and a half, but we haven't talked about, and I haven't done it much on the show, uh, this one condo project. Um, I think it was fascinating that this project went into receivership with a ton, like a billion dollars. I think it's a billion and a half in debt. Um, so the owners of the project just basically waved their hands and said, we can't get this done. But this is right at Young and Blur, and yeah. I've driven past it, and it's a mega, mega project. What's the next step with this and, and, and figuring out whether this can uh, w- whether this can work or not for its investors? Exactly. So we're going to have to see what happens. But this was supposed to be Toronto's tallest condo building. It, it still might be. Um, it's obviously bad news for the corner of Young and Bloor because it's just a construction zone. But since it was put into receivership, um, it was supposed to be done last August. But the people that put down their deposits can't actually get refunds unless it's not finished by January 28, like January, 2028. Wow. So it's, it's tough for the buyers. And it's also just, in my opinion, a, a bad example of what could happen in the condo market in Toronto. Yeah. So uh, I hope it gets resolved and keeps building. I'm looking at, it's quite a rate, a range in prices, um, $750,000 to 28 million dollars a unit there's a 28 million dollar unit in that building that i'd love to see the blueprints and plans for that um but that's there you have it exactly and they're having trouble selling the top Mm. the top units in the building especially in this market and since they can't sell them people aren't allowed to sell their own units until a certain percentage of them are sold. So it's a bad situation for the buyers for sure. Yeah. And, uh, and so much of the infrastructure is already up. So um, they're going to have to, they're going to have to work around it one way or the other. Thanks for the time this morning. Hope you have a great Halloween tonight. Thank you. You too. Bye, April Engelberg joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Ahmed Elbayumi is joining us, uh, author of Polycorner, and he can be found at nbpolycorner.ca. Ahmed, it's great to have you back on the show. Thanks for making the time. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure. You know your uh, provincial politics. How big a revelation is all this? we got a lot swirling in the air with all three parties, clearly. They all have some form of um, internal tension, it feels like, sometimes. How big is what happened yesterday? It's pretty big, I'd say. I think the Conservatives have been able to, you know, brush off the Auditor General's report or the Integrity Commissioner's report on Steve Clark. 
But these documents basically implicate, you know, political staff directly. They implicate the premier directly. Um, so, you know, as described to me by one conservative source last night, it's pretty effing damaging for this government. Yeah, I, we're seeing obviously a, a quote that a lot of people have referenced this morning, uh, Matt, and late last night from Ryan Amato, who people might remember the name. He's the former chief of staff to the ex-housing minister, Steve Clark. And his quote um, towards everybody in the room is on November 17th um, of last year. Everybody keep your mouth shut, which sounds like it's from, it's from a movie of some sort. This could be a Martin Scorsese movie where everybody's about to get caught doing something in essence. Yeah. Yeah. And th- and that's the thing, like, like, and the government will tell you that, you know, these staff are no longer involved in this process. That that direct quote was um, in response to a story that we don't know which one specifically, but one by the Toronto Star. Um, it just it does tell you that, you know, they understood the gravity of what they were doing. They understood that there would be flash, like lash, you know, lash back to um, or backlash to what 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 was in being planned. Um, and, and, you know, again, like the conservatives, conservative sources I've been speaking to over the last 24 hours, um, they're telling, you know, one directly said, you know, this is a wake up call. These are the types of mm. things that bring a government down. It's being, you know, um, reminded to folks of, you know, the liberal uh, gas plant scandal. Um, it, it, it's, it's big. It can't be undersaid. Uh, it, it is really intriguing, though, when you think about where the conservatives are, and I want to cross over to the NDP in a sec, uh, Ahmed, but uh, 79 seats for the conservatives. It'd be silly to think all 79 people agree on process and agree on policy all the time. So even if there's a few loud voices here, would you say this is still mostly a united Ontario progressive conservative party? I don't know. I, I would say there's definitely anger within the party. I think uh, the NDP and I had reported earlier in the um, session, they had tried to push um, a bill to reverse the green belt before the government um, had initially announced it. And, and the source, you know, on the NDP, despite saying, you know, this is like a long shot, um, mm. they wanted to put those MPPs on the record. Do you support mm. this government publicly or not? Um, I think I think that these reverses are result of direct um, pressure from from you know internal pressure from caucus um, because they are hearing from their constituents that folks aren't happy with what happened. Ahmed Elbayumi is our guest. You can find him at nbpolycorner.ca. Let's give a minute here on the NDP. I, I, it can't be a louder week, really, than last week was with uh, Dr. Jill Andrew, an MPP, speaking out saying, I don't like the process here of what happened to Sarah Jama. And then the week before was Sarah Jama being kicked out. So the NDP, I think, almost assuredly are in for a more quiet week. How do you view it? Oh, yeah, 100%. I think um, the NDP's probably, uh, you know, happy that that this is happening. The NDP mm-hmm. yesterday um, revived the whole MZO story, um, you know, telling reporters how more MZOs were, MZOs were issued to developers who attended the Premier's daughter's wedding than under 15 year, years of the Liberal in power. And so the NDP will definitely have, you know, much more of a quieter week. Um, we're still hearing from writing associations and whatnot, but, but yeah, Certainly, Marit Stiles will take the win for what it is. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. L- last week had some turmoil, too. This week seems like far less because uh, the shoe's on the other foot now. Um, and, and can I, yeah. Yeah. Can feel I just, free. Can I just can I just tell you, uh, like, again, conservative sources who I've been chatting with, we were this was one of the things that I had asked about. Um, and mm-hmm. one of, you know, those sources said, you know, the strategists who thought about pushing this whole Sarah Jama story into the forefront 
it was pretty darn smart for doing it because it, it came at a time where, you know, Paul Calandra made these reversals to the urban boundary changes. Yes. Um, and, and it basically pushed that away from the news, uh, from the news cycle. Folk, folks were focused on how the government was responding to Sarah Jama's comments. And that was yeah. about it. Yeah, it's amazing how quick. We, yeah, and we flipped right back about three or four days later. Hey, I right. love your stuff. I want to send everybody uh, possible to nbpolycorner.ca and let's do this more often. Great insight, and I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. Happy Halloween. You bet. Ahmed Abouyoumi joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. We're about to talk uh, to the mayor of Mississauga and Ontario Liberal Party leader candidate. This is how things sounded several months ago. I want to announce that I will be candidate for the leadership of the Ontario Liberal Party. It's exactly that. Earlier this spring, it's getting real. We turn to November tomorrow and the votes will be assembled in November, counted in early December. We welcome on the mayor of Mississauga and Ontario Liberal Party leadership candidate, Bonnie Crombie. It's great to have you. That sounded like you, right? That's That, that was you back in the spring. That was me, Greg. Good morning. Uh, it's getting real. Did you, even a year ago at this time, did you picture yourself doing this a year ago on Halloween 2022? <laughs> no, I did not. I'll be perfectly honest. I love my city. I love my work. I had just been reelected for the third time. And, and in fact, with 78% of the popular vote. So I was very committed to my city. And now I'm hoping to bring the same skill set I used to manage the city of Mississauga to the province so that we can manage it a little more ethically. <laughs> so this felt like more calling than anything else. People talking to you and then you seeing the opportunity to be what other people were asking you to be and, and be, you know, sort of that shining light for a party that kind of lost its way a little bit. I think people look at. Greg, that is a great positioning. I really do feel that public service is a very noble calling. And I do feel that I was called to run in this provincial election. People felt that I could make a difference. I could change the path that, that the province is currently on, which we all know is wrong and harmful to, to ordinary Ontarians. And so they felt I could make a difference with my experience, with my leadership ability, and frankly, with my name recognition across the province. People know who I am. I'm a trusted name. Um, my residents have confidence in me. So I could bring that skill set to the province. I think I can help the towns, the small towns and the cities, the northern communities right across the province. What did you not know as much getting into the race that you now do? I always feel like it's fantastic to sometimes not be the smartest person in the room because you learn. What, what are you more up to speed on as a major provincial issue that you may not have been in March or April? Frankly, the abuse of power um, at the province um, I'm just dumbfounded at what I'm learning about each and every day. Um, there seems to be more revealed, more unraveled on on how the province has been so poorly managed and for the wrong reasons. This, this government isn't in it for the people of Ontario. They're in it, they're in it for themselves and to enrich their rich friends. Um, and that's just been shocking to me. And I think I've made the right decision. I think this government has lost their moral compass um, if they had one to begin with. So I'm delighted to be in this. I want to right the ship. I want to bring transparency and accountability back to government. Um, I think the word integrity has been lost in all of this. Housing such a massive issue, and you saw the news yesterday about MZOs, Minister Zoning Orders. Um, I would make the case, though, despite how they were being handed out yesterday, so, so go the stories, that MZOs might be important. Would you, as a Premier, continue to push mayors, push municipalities using MZOs to get housing built if you're the Premier? 
So they have been abused. I've been calling them party favors, as we see the way they've been distributed to people close to the premier who have attended the, the, the daughter's wedding, mm-hmm. bag and dough parties, etc. Now, my council has made it very clear that we don't support MZOs unless they're being used to build affordable housing or long-term care facilities. That is what is needed. Because let's be honest, these decisions made by ministers are non-appealable decisions, and they eliminate public consultation. So once an MZO is handed down, there is no ability for the local community to change that decision. So I very much, and I know my council does as well, see this as an interference into local planning and rezoning, into the rezoning process. Now, if there's a problem with the rezoning process, um, let's fix it. Let's change that. Because the way the process is working today, it's subject to abuse um, and that we end misuse. And that is what we're observing. We have yeah. seen that this government has given out more MZOs to an, one individual developer than the Liberal Party did through the entire 16 mm. years they were in power under two different premiers. So this is really an absurd situation to hand out MZOs rather than allowing the process to unfold as it should in in collaboration with local planning um, and local councils. If the process takes too long, let's fix it. Bonnie Crombie, sorry about that. Bonnie Crombie is our guest on 640 Toronto. You came um, and used strong mayor powers um, to um, put something right with housing and and the building process in Mississauga two weeks ago. Do you look at the premier? You're being critical of the premier and, and that's the job. But are you thankful that Doug Ford gave mayors like yourself strong mayor power so you could do what you did two weeks ago? Um, I'm a consensus builder. I never thought I would see the opportunity to use the strong mayor powers. Mayors across the province, some are in favor of it, some are not. Uh, I didn't see that opportunity until a few weeks ago when Minister Sean Fraser offered Mississauga $120 million to help with our infrastructure needs to build housing in Mississauga. And all we had to demonstrate is that we were adjusting and adapting to gentle density. And by all means, this is gentle density. We have un- limited heights and densities in Mississauga, in in our downtown area, in our uptown area, and in some transit nodes. But we've been asked to adopt gentle density into neighborhoods and communities. And we had a a deadlocked council. Um, There was one councillor absent for the vote, so it should have been 6-5, but it was 5-5. And of course, even though I'm on an unpaid leave of absence, Um, I saw the opportunity to save the day and came in and said, look, I got five counselors for sure, maybe six, one was away, in favor of this. Let's not leave $120 million on the table. So I did come back and issue that strong mayor edict, Mm. and I'm very proud of that because I want to prove that we are changing and evolving in Mississauga. Let's talk health care, Bonnie. How creative can we get? with fixing it. Um, Here's what I see. Um, I see a really bloated, high-level administration at a lot of hospitals, lots of vice presidents, human resources. And I don't think the people working on the ground floor, doctors, nurses, orderlies, are are getting the support they need via other employees or via equipment. I think we're real bloated up top. Would you fix that? So there is an opportunity to streamline hospitals, but let's look at the problem where it exists. (laughs) The Doug Ford government is 
is created this crisis by underfunding our hospitals and overburdening the very people we called heroes during COVID. They're not transferring proper funding levels to the hospitals. There's $22 billion in so-called surplus sitting in general revenue that should have been allocated to our hospitals to make them function properly or our education system to our, to our schools. There's a 15 year backlog in repairing our schools as well. So let's pay people properly in our hospitals. Let's streamline administration, of course, and, and, and let's ensure that people have access to healthcare right now. The only solution they're proposing is private clinics. Let's streamline the system and make sure it's accessible for everyone. We all believe in universal single-payer health care system that is there and available for everyone. Um, a lot of liberal candidates lost in 2022 and lost badly. I know you've traveled this province, and I've spoken to the other candidates that, that traveled this province. This is still a popular government in a lot of pockets in Ontario. It just is. Is there a risk for you, if you're the leader, Bonnie, in running candidates that couldn't win in 2022. How do you sort of balance that new ideas, fresh faces, known commodities versus candidates that lost um, and lost badly last year? I'm seeing a spark in this party like never before as I travel across the province. We are in reinvigorating the brand. We are building back excitement. People are confident again in being liberal. They're proud to say they're a liberal party once again. Yes, we need strong local candidates. And I promise we will have a policy platform that will speak to local issues right across the province. Small town, rural communities, northern communities, francophone communities have. Uh, we will select local candidates, strong local candidates that will hit the ground running as soon as possible. We will raise a war chest and we will fight this government because we are back. Count on it. The Liberal Party is back and we are going to win in 2026. Is this, I was just about to ask you, is this a two election process going from nine seats to at least 63? It's hard. I mean, I'm sure you've looked at maps and thought we need this to happen and that to happen and that to happen. That's not an easy, it's not easy to grab 52 seats in one election. We are back. This government has revealed their true colors. Each and every day, we learn more and more about the corruption that exists at Queen's Park. People have no tolerance for a corrupt, arrogant government that has lost their way, that has lost their moral compass. We need to bring ethics back to government. We need a strong, experienced leader. And yes, we can win in 2026, and we will. Small towns, rural communities, agricultural communities, they tell me the same thing. They've been neglected and they are isolated. They need a leader who is present that will listen to them and will act. And I have their confidence. I will act and I will act on their behalf in their best interest. Let me go really hard hitting on the last question. What's being given out of the Crombie household tonight, candy-wise? If if Greg Brady shows up, I'm a little old, but I could dress as a teenager maybe, maybe a Justin Bieber. What are you giving out? my favorite night of the year. I can't wait till the little ones start coming to the door. So we have little chocolate bars that we hand out because it's what I enjoy too. So in case there are any leftovers, um, I can pack one in my lunch. <laughs> okay. Watch for those repeat customers. That's key. Don't That's like it. Okay. Like it's 
I'm going to hand out chocolates by a handful. Uh, okay. Well, if you're premier, we got to tighten things up in, in that department. If that's right, that's, that's there's, so there's a spending issue there with the chocolate budget. <laughs> it's for the children. I get that. Bonnie, come back on. People like hearing from you. And I know it's a busy month and we'll, uh, we'll, we'd love to have you back before the votes actually get cast. Thanks for the time today. We will. Thanks so much, Greg. All the best. Bonnie Crombie joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's News. Today's Talk. 640 Toronto. Okay, 621 on Toronto Today. Nice to have you here on a Tuesday morning. Uh, it's a trick-or-treating night. It's uh, a dry temperature, or dry uh, skies night, uh, cold temperatures as well. I didn't realize this. I think this, would, uh, this wouldn't affect my family, but it might affect our producer, Sheba Siddiqui's family. You look forward to Halloween, don't you? Love you Halloween. Like it? Can't wait. I'm okay with it. I, I'm going to miss I miss the trick-or-treating thing. I've got a 17-year-old and a 15-year-old that might just go over to somebody's house tonight. I'm like... But you know, you could dress up and answer the I, door. I have dressed... I have been in costume and answered the door before. Um, Will that be tonight? Absolutely. Or? It could be. What, are you going to be a radio host? Uh, yes. Someone sent me a long time ago a, uh, a, a like a skin-tight lime green suit. Oh, yes. And Why aren't um, you wearing it today? <laughs> Again, what's um, the costume though? I still don't understand. It was just uh, a- the, there's a staggering amount of complaints about me around the office, and why would I add to it? But they're not like so. Were you they're a not lizard? About fa- they're more about fashion. Like he's, you know, he's got he's not wearing socks today. That kind of stuff. Oh, I see. No, but it covers your face as well. So you. I'm oh, gonna, so it's a gift from God. It, it was a gift from, there were two these two guys, not to invoke too much about my favorite NHL team, the Vancouver Canucks, but the Canucks had uh, guys called the Green Men, and they would sit by the opposing team's penalty box, and so you couldn't see their faces, but they would like have signs, and they would like wave at them. It was very surreal. Gord, you do you remember like, the Green Men at all? Yes, there okay. was like, yeah, three or four of them, like you say. Yeah, and they would, st- they would do handstands, they would hold up signs to make fun of other players. And I mentioned them on the air once, and we were syndicated nationally for television at the time, and they send me a green man costume because oh. I mentioned that I like them. But if you wore it, I don't think anybody would know what nobody that was would, in your neighborhood. Right. Nobody would you know You could tell me you were a COVID virus. Nobody would know it was me. <laughs> your green screen. Um, do you have, so, so is everybody, you have four children. I've got four. Is they're everybody trick-or-treating? They're all, even my eldest, who's in grade nine, which I actually love. I, I, he was planning on not going until... Last night, he said, yeah, we're going to go. We're meeting up, him and his friends. So all four of my kids are all going out in different directions with different friends tonight. Did you know that there are ordinances in some U.S. cities, I can't find a Canadian one, that prohibits kids over 12 years old no way, I don't from care. trick-or-treating? Belleville, don't Illinois is such a city. The mayor led a push to ban trick-or-treating by high school-aged teens in So then what do they community. want the teens to do? In that community, if you don't want them out there trick or treating, really. So then the alternative for that eggs. mayor, that's yeah, that's windows. what I'm saying. If they're not trick or treating, they're going to be up to like what? What else is there to do? You're going to cause trouble. Yeah. So I'm glad mine's out trick or treating. Um, now, for people handing out candy, I haven't bought mine yet for the house, but I see this because it's inflationary times. Forty eight percent. This was a survey a couple of weeks ago. Forty eight percent of uh, the adults who completed an online leger survey said they'd be handing out candy. Six percent were undecided. Forty-six percent said they'd opt out. Does that make sense? That about half the houses. But hold on, it's also in this, in this survey those who have kids in their household. It jumps to sixty-three percent. 
So two thirds of people who have kids in their household are handing out candy tonight. Do you get a lot of houses? I I we only remember like one out of every twenty maybe somebody either wouldn't an- or somebody would answer and say, "I'm sorry, I've got nothing for you." So oh, then, then don't why answer would you the door. answer? Yeah, that's like an old cranky man that was basically like, "Stop knocking," but you answered and prolonged the interaction. Just turn off your lights. Act like no one's home. When you see the lights off in a house, though, that's an automatic that's sign. Don't I go figure. there. But we don't have a lot of trick-or-treaters come to our house. So this year I got the giant, like the large chocolate bars. So anybody yeah. who comes by, you're going to get a large chocolate bar. Uh, that's not bad. No, you're doing great. the largest. How many kids do you expect on a on a chillier but dry Tuesday night? I'm telling you, we are where we live, they won't come. So it'll probably be, I'm happy if we get 10 kids tonight. We're going to get 60. We're just, it's I love just that. that busy area behind the school. Um, you know, we're not set way back in the woods. I'm not saying you are, but I am. I'm <laughs> I not. say, who's set way back in the woods? That's Gord's house. Uh, it's possible. Gord does have that long driveway. Can we yes. do, um, can we do a romantic song here to get to our story about the, uh, it, it occurred to me that maybe some mood music. Do you remember what your wedding song was? Did you have a wedding song? I did all my life by, uh. I think Casey and Joji, you know, all my life, I pray for someone like you. I don't know that song. Yes, you do. Not the Beatles in my life? No. <laughs> okay. I, I, well, I think we did, uh, we did, um, I can't remember, but I had ideas. I know the songs that were you rejected. You can't remember your wedding song? Nah. And I can't, oh, it, it was, so, I was so busy, uh, you know, uh, collecting gifts. Yeah. Well, no, it wasn't this one. I, I oh. proposed, um, True by Spandau Ballet, but that was shot down very quickly. <laughs> what we saw now, do you think this is fair, fair politics from the Ontario NDP caucus? I don't want to pin this on, you know, this person or that person. Mart Styles, blah, blah, blah. Um, there's a photo yesterday because of this uh, MZO controversy <laughs> with the conservative government. And uh, ministerial zoning order, by right. the way, for anyone who doesn't know what that stands yeah, for. Yeah, we're going to definitely get into that during the show. But the photo that the NDP puts out, it's not during an election campaign, come for the wedding, stay for the MZOs. Okay, but the picture. And the photo is the key. Tell people what you see okay, in the photo so in the lower it's, left uh, corner. It's like, it looks like a flyer, a digital flyer. It's got these this banner, this beautiful white flowers in the background. Lovely. It's got uh, the background picture again. In between the flowers is a table is a chart, a table seating chart, like when you go to a wedding. And I think it's the authentic chart, the original chart. And then it's got our premier dancing with his daughter. Her her back is to us, but he's smiling. He's wearing his tux. He's got his um, his bombonier. And he's, you know, it's, it's their slow dance, I guess, the father-daughter dance. Yeah. And that's what you see. So, so do you think... Do you think we have none of our kids are even close to marriage age? <laughs> what are you could ask? But but I'm trying to picture my father-in-law, my my wonderful father-in-law dancing with my wife, and if he were the premier of the province, that tender moment being <laughs> captured well and used in an attack ad about municipal zoning. If your wedding favor, zoning. if your wedding favor at your I, daughter's wedding is the green belt. Yeah, some then people yes, get salad bowls. On some people get cutlery. You get pieces of the green belt. You and I, you and you. Everybody gets a piece of the green belt. It, it's. Do you think it's a little too far? Oh, okay. 
You and I laughed our heads off when we first saw but this. But I'm not him. Together. Oh, so what? That's what you get when you're premiere. When you're at that, no, you're nah, gonna, that's what you're going to get. I think it's I, hilarious. I, <laughs> I know that, look, they were probably, they were trying to jab it. And this is the actual table chart, the seating chart of the wedding. I don't think they've even blurred anybody's names. No, though. I don't think and they did And I think that, that they should have. <laughs> no. What's that? So, and he like, looks great, though. Doesn't Sam the- Thompson sitting at table 21. Does he want to be used in an attack ad? Doug looks great. Yes, I know. We can't see his daughter, and Which I never good. remember the names. We, they also, I know they all start with a K, but do. I don't remember the they names. Do. But we don't need to see her. Let's leave her out of this. Are you like, sure that's not a Photoshop? <laughs> of like a, a zombie bride? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> a corpse. I don't know. We never see her face. If they'd used her face, would that have been offside? I think so. Okay, so the line for you is just her face? I think it's, an, I, it's a little too much. By the way, if this was a female a premier... Dancing with her son, about to give her son away in a marriage. Yeah, we would we would absolutely call it out and say how or or let's say this was a premier's second marriage. You know, she's taking a new step. Oh, that's his wife. Uh, hun- no, 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 no. But I'm saying if this was a female premier. Yeah, we're gonna have Bonnie Crombie on the show this morning, eight oh five. If that was a photo of Bonnie Crombie, okay, um, having a, a a dance as a new uh, wife, we would never say that that's above board. If she's giving out pieces of the green belt at her kid's wedding, then absolutely. I don't know. We would. I don't know. It's not like I. It's easy. Yes. Is it easier just to register at Bed Bath and Beyond and not give out green belt pieces? I guess so. I guess it is.